What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Down in the Valley podcast. I'm Todd Golden, sports editor and Indiana State beat writer for the Terre Haute Tribune Star. We're up to episode 10. I'm calling this one One Hit to the Body. And it's being recorded on January 22nd at the Todd Golden Studios in my basement in Terre Haute. I apologize. It's been a while, longer than I intended, since I last recorded a podcast. The last one I did was when I was on my um, Iowa trip back uh, a couple weeks ago. And uh, things happen. This time of year is crazy um, in the sports department, for me in particular, with um, the mix of travel and other things. So I intended to record last week and wasn't able to, and uh, so I'm trying to make sure I get on it this week. So apologize if uh, you've been waiting for the next episode, um, and flattered as well if you are actually are waiting. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll make a better effort to try to get these out more regularly. Um, sitting here in a in the in my basement uh surrounded by a lot of disinfectant and all that my kids uh, my son in particular has the flu and um my wife and I have been fighting it off um hopefully it won't affect my trip to Loyola which will be tomorrow um right now I feel okay so I should be able to go up to Chicago but um anyhow enough about me but I'm calling this one one hit to the body and that's an obvious reference because um, the most recent game Indiana State played was at Valparaiso and it was an 86 to 77 loss last Saturday at the Arc and um, uh, a dispiriting loss because ISU was um, at one point up by 11 in the second half um, against a Valpo team that was shorthanded they didn't have their point guard Daniel Sackey they didn't have one of their off guards, Nick Robinson, and they haven't had Nick Fazekas much at all this season. He, They thought he might be back for that game, but he uh, was not able to go. Um, so the Crusaders were shorthanded. Um, it was an opportunity for ISU to uh, get a valuable road win against a team that they're very likely to be competing with for um, to get out of Thursday night in St. Louis. Um, right now, as the Valley standings stand, uh, Evansville is, and we'll get, we'll talk more about them later, um, is probably Thursday bound. Illinois State is probably Thursday bound. Um, and Southern Illinois, although they're playing, they're three and three in the Valley, um, <clears throat> they're not, they're, their inexperience would suggest that they could be playing on Thursday. We'll see. Maybe Brian Mullins, uh, gets them out of that hole. Um, that leaves Missouri State, Indiana State, and Valpo to fight for um, to to get out of playing Thursday. Missouri State's been a disappointment, um, but you have to feel like their talent is eventually going to lift them up a little bit, which, in my opinion, makes Indiana State and Valparaiso, they're relatively evenly matched in terms of their pedigree in the league, and I think they're going to be fighting it out for that last um, for the sixth spot, basically. So, so given that, that that's my feeling, um, I thought this game at Valparaiso was uh, really important this past Saturday and an opportunity for the Sycamores to really break into, you know, break into the top group in the league, break away from that middle group of teams that are all tied at three and three. Drake is in there right now as well. Um, and, you know, kind of, make a statement that they belong among the uh among in that group of of elite teams in the in the league and for a while it looked like they might do that um 
Sycamores came out playing extremely well. Um, shared the ball just uncommonly well for the first 10 minutes of the game. Ball was moving all over the place. Uh, several different players were getting shots. Um, it was as good as the offense has run all year. And I, ICU's offense has not been bad this year. It's been pretty decent, um, both by percentage and really mostly by efficiency. Um, <coughs> ICU's lead peaked at about, um, I, I don't have the time in front of me, but it was between five and 10 minutes. And, um, but the problem was, and it, this isn't, this is just a bad circumstance. The one player ISU had missing on Saturday was Bronson Kessinger. And Bronson has been coming off the bench, uh, sometimes the first substitute, sometimes the second. Um, but he's kind of that uh, glue player that's been, um, been able to marshal the defense, play smart, uh, mostly play without fouls, hits a bucket here and there, even a three-pointer occasionally. Um, he was sick. He was in his hotel room on Saturday. So ISU, when um, Trey Williams and Jake LaRavia got into a bit of foul trouble, was really compromised lineup-wise. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to make an excuse for this loss because I'm just giving you the initial reason why things may have started to go south because um, at one point, uh, later on in the first half, there was a rotation out there that had LaRavia Williams, Kobe Barnes, all freshmen. Um, Diavion Washington had to play a little bit in the post in the in the latter part of the first half. Um, and even though Valparaiso lost Javon Freeman Liberty for a brief period in the first half and Aaron Gordon, um, it was not the kind of lineup that you necessarily want to be protecting a lead with. And sure enough, ISU went into a drought um, didn't score a field goal, I don't think, for the last five minutes and change of the first half. Allowed Valparaiso, once they got some of their starters in right before halftime, to close the gap. And at that point, you felt like they had momen momentum, and they certainly did. Um, Valparaiso would um, take the or move in front early in the second half. ISU fought back, uh, had a two-point lead at one point, uh, but then wasted a couple possessions um, that could have increased their lead and really after that it rolled downhill Valparaiso playing at home got on a roll and when I say they got on a roll they were just rolling right down the lane ISU's defense did very little to stop um, the Crusaders straight line drives to the basket and that was disappointing obviously uh, they scored 28 points in the, in the paint in the second half and uh, very few of them were um, as Greg Lansing mentioned to me today when I was talking to him about the Loyola game, very few of them were post feeds. I think there may have been one. So we're talking about drives into the lane, and um, it was just a collective breakdown by all of the Sycamores in terms of team defense as well as individual defense. And um, playing at home, Valpo took advantage and ultimately won the game. So very disappointing because the way I saw it is – and, you know, it's funny, I was, been, a lot of people have been asking me about this loss. And when you cover a season, um, you have to look at things both in a macro and a micro standpoint. I hate to sound pretentious using those words, but uh, the bottom line is, is that each game is its own entity. So different things happen in different games that cause um, problems to occur. In this case, ISU's defense collapsed. ISU's defense hasn't been a problem in every game. It has been in mostly road games in the Valley this year. 
other games they've been not too bad. Um, ISC's offense, for the most part, has been pretty good, uh, but they've had spots here and there where it's been bad. Um, so the micro of this game is that the defense fell apart. The, the, the bigger picture, though, is that ISU once again had a lead and didn't protect it. And there may be individual reasons in the individual games why that keeps occurring, but it keeps occurring. And so when you have a recurring problem like that, you know, you have to ask questions about whether, you know, what, what's in the psyche of the team, you know, what's in the mindset of the coaches um, as far as, you know, and this is not new. I mean, Indiana State has had very few big wins in the Lansing era. Most of them are in, you know, a big win is almost in, in the 10 to 20 point range. There's very, not been very many above that. So um, why did that happen, though? And what concerns me is that I, I just saw something I haven't seen much out of this this group of players this year, and that was a little bit of complacency, in some cases a little bit of arrogance um, in terms of, you know, playing smart and protecting what you have on the road. I mean, it's great to have an 11-point lead on the road. That doesn't come very often. Um, but anybody who's watched any bit of basketball knows that a road lead is is really fleeting and very temporary if you don't lock down and keep your foot on the gas at all times in terms of doing what you did to build the lead in the first place on both ends of the floor. And I don't think the Sycamores came close to doing that. Clearly they didn't on the defensive end and even on the offensive end at times. Although their numbers were, were good, uh, the decision-making wasn't always. Um, there were a few passes that didn't lead to turnovers. ISU only had seven turnovers in the game, which is a good number. But, um, you know, passes over the top to LaRavia or Williams that didn't put them in a good position to do anything with the ball. Um, easy stuff that Val, easy stuff for Valpo to read that they were able to take care of. Um, the one that everybody remembers is that Jordan Barnes tried to throw a lob to, to LaRavia. Um, it was about six minutes left in the game. That was when they were up two. And it, it didn't, didn't come close to converting it. And those kind of plays take the air out of your sails. And or the wind out of your the air, the wind out of your sails, um, and you can't do that stuff on the road. And there's too many veteran players that know better than that. And um, so it was unfortunate to see the Sycamores take a step backwards in that respect on Saturday. Because, and the problem is, is that there isn't a whole lot of benefit of the doubt being given by. A lot of people who observe ISU, some fans, um, some of the media, etc. So um, it is just one loss in a row. ISU had won their games prior to that, but I think everybody recognized that this was an opportunity to make a move, make a statement, tell everybody that you know this isn't BS that we've started with. This is the real thing, and that opportunity was squandered. So. Unfortunate for the team, unfortunate for Greg Lansing and his staff, um, but the Sycamores uh, have to fight their way through that. I do want to review real quickly, even though some of this is ancient history, some of the games that have happened since I last did a podcast, and just a couple impressions on some of these teams. ISU, um, it seems like it was a long, it was a long time, it was two weeks ago as I record this, but um, ISU lost at Northern Iowa, 68-60. to 60. Um, that was a much more competitive effort than the one at Valpo was. 
and Northern Iowa is a much better team than Valpo is. Uh, ISU did a great job on, on A.J. Green, if I remember right. I think he had 13 points. Um, but there were some plays, again, made down the stretch in that game that just weren't converted on the road, and uh, Panthers are too good to, uh, you know, let those things slide. Um, UNI is the best team I've seen this year. I'm about to see some good ones. Um, but certainly Ben Jacobson's done a great job of, you know, turning Austin Fife, their center, into the kind of post force that the best UNI teams have had. Uh, they have good guard play with Green, uh, Isaiah Brown, who was a great defender, and he did a really good job on Tyree Key in that particular game. Uh, Taiwan Pickford, um, players like that, who um, not all of them are stars, but they they they're perfect pieces of the puzzle that fit. And you and I, this puzzle has been a little bit off kilter the last couple of years, but it seems like they have their um, their back uh, glued together. So. And and ISU was lucky. Spencer Halderman, their best shooter, didn't even play in that game. So um, not a bad effort on the road, but uh, another one that kind of got away. After that, ISU came home, um, beat Illinois State 65-52 to at Hallman Center. Illinois State's a young team, um, probably the least experienced team I can remember that Dan Mullers had. I'm sure somebody at Illinois State could correct me on that, but... Um, kind of not ready for prime time type of team. Illinois State has never played well here in Terre Haute. Um, I think one win here since 2007. So <clears throat> those are kind of boogeymen that they have to overcome, much like ISU has to when they go to Missouri State or Southern Illinois, some places where they've had some clunkers over the years. But um, ISU played very well in the game. Um, really never gave Illinois State much of a hope of getting into that game. That was a, an example of the good Sycamores. Um, on you know when they uh, when they put together a you know relatively close to a forty minute effort. So um, one of the things that emerged over the course of the UNI game, the Illinois State game, and the Evansville game that I'm about to talk about is um, Christian Williams' defense uh, was really influential in these games. He's done a really good job of coming off the bench in giving ISU um, a jolt of of opportunism on the defensive side. He's so long and he's got such long arms that he's just a, a nightmare for ball handlers. And ISU's depth was such in those games where they could put him on guards. Um, that was another problem in the Valpo game that's a re related to Kessinger's absence is Christian Williams had to play in the post some. So that took away his advantage that he had in terms of uh, the length he uses out on the perimeter. He wasn't in the post for the whole game, but he was down there. So, um, But he's been really good lately and uh, certainly was good um, against the Redbirds. And then after that, last Wednesday, ISU um, beat a damaged Evansville team 65-42 to at Holman Center. Um, Evansville made one run at the Sycamores in the second half, but ISU weathered it and ended up blowing them out. Um, Obviously, a team in turmoil down in Evansville. Where, like I said, we're going to talk a lot more about them in a second. But, um, and their best player was also out, DeAndre Williams. So, uh, ISU has been fortunate this year, I guess, um, in the respect that other than Illinois State, um, everybody they've played in the Valley so far has been missing at least one piece uh, of the puzzle. When they played Southern, they didn't have uh, Aaron Cook or Eric McGill. When they played at Drake. Uh, they didn't have Tremel Murphy. He's not coming back, so that's going to be true for all the Valley teams. But um, 
obviously a very important piece of the puzzle for the Bulldogs up there. Uh, you and I didn't have Spencer Haldeman. Illinois State was healthy, but then Evansville didn't have DeAndre Williams, who's their leading scorer and pretty much they're all everything. Um, and then, of course, I mentioned the players that Valparaiso was missing. Um, when ISU plays Loyola tomorrow, barring anything unforeseen, that'll be the first um, team that has all their pieces in place uh, against the Sycamores other than Illinois State. So um, I'm not counting Cooper Kafis, who's out, who was announced to be out for the year before the year started. So um, the players they've had have been should be healthy tomorrow for the Ramblers. But... Um, and then, of course, the loss at Valpo that I mentioned was next for ISU. So right now they're at 3-3 three and three in the Valley, 10-7 um, and seven overall. And, um, you know, I think looking forward a little bit, I think the, the, the stretch, the five-game stretch that Indiana State's about to enter starting tomorrow at Loyola is uh, going to be the five-game stretch that determines the course of this season. I don't think there's any question about it. It's a tough stretch, too. Um, ISU's next five games are at Loyola tomorrow, Bradley at home on Saturday, Drake at home next Wednesday, at Missouri State on, I believe that's February 1st, and then Loyola comes to Holman Center, I think it's February 5th. So that's a that's a rough road ahead for the Sycamores. Um, not that they can't win some of these games, they're perfectly capable of winning any of these games, but there's no breaks coming up. There's no ISU's schedule is such that, you know, as it turned out, uh, probably the three most winnable home games were the first three games played. None of the rest of them are going to be, um, I don't want to say easy, but uh, they're going to be more challenging than Southern Illinois State and Evansville. So um, that's what ISU is looking at, and that's something the team has to rally around and build their own mental toughness and physical toughness about as they go forward, because these teams aren't going to give them any quarter. Um, and, you know, if ISU comes out of this stretch um, probably any less than two and three, or three and two, really, um, you're starting to talk about whether they finish 500 overall. You're starting to talk about Thursday night in St. Louis, and we all know what's on the line this season. I don't think. Uh, um, I'm not trying to talk around Greg Lansing's job status or anything like that. We know it's on the line. And this stretch of the season is going to be very important in determining uh, what the direction of this program is going forward. So extremely important stretch. And it starts, like I mentioned a million times by now, um, starts with the game at Loyola tomorrow, and that is not going to be easy. Uh, the Ramblers are tied for the league lead with you and I at 5-1. and one. Um, of course, the player that everybody thinks of first, as they should, uh, when you uh, think of Loyola is Cameron Krautwig. Uh, Loyola is now, seems like he's been there forever. He's still just a junior um, uh, with with the Ramblers. And um, we've seen what he can do the last couple of years against the Sycamores. Sycamores have not had anybody who could physically match him, and he's taken advantage um, in both games uh, that, the, that the Ramblers played against ISU last year. What he's added to his game is he can pass. Um, right now in the overall Valley stats, he's third in assists. Um, if you look at the Valley-only stats, he's a little bit lower than that. I think he's averaging, um, as I look at this real quickly, uh, he's at 
he's still fifth. He's three three and a half assists per game, and you know everybody around him on this list are all guards or true point guards. So, uh, so what we're talking about here is a player who is already offensively gifted, very difficult to stop once he gets the catch in the post because he's so big and he's got such good footwork. Now he's added a passing element to his game. So we're talking about the Nikola Nikola Jokic of the Valley, basically, and. While Trey Williams and Jake LaRavia have been a vast improvement for the Sycamores in the in the post, you know they're still freshmen when it comes to defending. They have been picking up their share of fouls, fouls that you typically see out of freshmen. You know, fouls out of over exuberance or um, trying to make up for maybe being a quarter of a step behind, um, getting to their man. So. Um, Krautwig is going to punish that. So how do you attack Krautwig? You know, I, I put that to Greg Lansing when I talked to him um, on Tuesday. And it's not an easy question to answer because if you double Krautwig, obviously he can pass. And Loyola has plenty of players who can punish you off of his pass. Um, Lucas Williamson is the veteran that people know about. He can drive to the basket. Some of the new players they have um, include... Uh, Marquise Kennedy, who's a true freshman from Chicago, um, who has, um, he's, he's just under 10 points a game, but um, gifted athlete, uh, good player, and certainly um, is somebody who, if you let him loose, is going to hurt you. Another player they have who's actually from Indiana, he's from Greenfield, um, Tate Hall, who's averaging 12 points a game in Valley play. Um, he's another option if you double Krautwig. If you don't double Krautwig and you try to take away the, the people he can pass to, he's perfectly capable of beating you on his own. So very difficult matchup for the Sycamores defensively. I will say that in my time watching ISU, they really do a good job of limiting the number one option. You know, I think back to the, the most recent example would be the game at UNI uh, where A.J. Green was, um, was held low. The problem with that is is that the smarter teams usually figure out a way to get their second, third, fourth, fifth, whomever option going in lieu of their first. So we'll see if that happens with Loyola tomorrow night. They certainly have other people that they can lean on if they need to. And um, so it'll be interesting to see if ISU just tries to roll the dice with Trey and Jake inside against uh, probably Trey more. I think back to when he guarded Obi Toppin in his first ever game. Um, and, you know, Obi Toppin got his, but um, but he did okay. I mean, considering he didn't embarrass himself or anything. So um, as far as anything that ISU can exploit, um, well, we do have the two worst free throw shooting teams in the league tomorrow. Um, Loyola's shot 63%. In league games, ISU is at a god-awful 56.6%, and that cost them against Valpo on Saturday without question, their free-throw shooting. Um, ISU has to, I mean, obviously they have to defend a lot better. Um, Loyola's not a great offensive rebounding team, so that helps. Um, You know, so the Sycamores have to, you know, they have to shoot the way they did, obviously, in the first half against Valpo. They are capable of hitting their threes. Right now, um, I believe they are... Sorry to be scrolling as I do this podcast. It's probably not good form, but Sycamores have shot 37% in league play, which is third. I think they're still first in overall games when you count the non-conference. 
game. So um, certainly enough shooters to go around for the Sycamores. Um, and it'll be the first time Loyola has to defend ISU's post, so it'll be interesting to see what that frees up tomorrow. Um, so that's an important game. After that, ISU comes home for two games, but the first game is difficult. Bradley um, may be 4-2 in the league, a game behind Loyola and you and I, but they're dangerous, and ISU has had big trouble with Bradley the la- last year, um, or probably more accurately, they've had big trouble with Daryl Brown. They're kind of a Svengali guard who can do everything. He's a good shooter, he's a good driver, good distributor, good decision maker, and he's just tough. And Bradley's another team that's not a full strength. They don't have Elijah Childs, but um, but they shoot the ball so well that um, it hasn't mattered that much. Nate Cannell, who also has torched the Sycamores in the past, um, is averaging 14 and a half points per game. Um, Daryl Brown himself is averaging 16.3. Um, Brown is third in the league in assists, and I'm talking about league-only games at four and a half. Um, you look at three-point percentage, and you got um, uh, Tyvanainen, their, their new freshman, shooting 50%. Um, and like I said, Cannell, um, he's made the second most amount of three-point field goals in the league with 18. He's behind A.J. Green and um, Daryl Brown and, and uh, Tavanine, and I hope I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, but um, are not far behind. So th- they're a team that could shoot from the outside, and they've done that to the Sycamores in the past. I mean, I recall the game at Bradley last year, which was just as nightmarish as the game at Loyola was uh, to start last year's season. So ISU has done a little bit better against the three-point. They haven't been killed by that in any games um, you know, at least not dramatically. Um, ISU is actually second in the league in three-point defense. They've allowed 30.6%, so that's pretty good. Um, so we'll see. Bradley traditionally has not played well at home and center either, but um, this isn't a traditional Bradley team. This isn't the Bradley teams of the mid-2010s that were basically in rebuild mode. Um, they're a confident bunch coming off the NCAA tournament last year, so... Uh, the Sycamores will have to be at their best at home on Saturday. Um, I'm not going to delve into the other teams that they play. Drake coming in next week. ISU's already lost to them this year. Missouri State, I mentioned a little early, earlier, has been a bit of a disappointment, but has talent to be better. And then Loyola comes back. So, um, like I said, this is the stretch I think that's going to determine the season. So we'll see where it takes us um, in the next uh, two weeks. So. Looking around the rest of the league, the big news today that occurred tonight, actually, is that the Walter McCarty situation at Evansville uh, was resolved with his termination uh, from from the university. Um, he had been on an administrative leave. Um, he was replaced by Todd Licklider, the former Butler and Iowa coach, who was on McCarty's staff last year. Actually, I believe he coached the game um, or he coached the latter part. I think McCarty, I can't remember if he got ejected from the game here last year or whether he was suspended. I think he got ejected. But um, anyway, he was, Licklider was on McCarty's staff last year, um, resigned uh, due to some health problems that he had that have since been remedied. And so Licklider will be back uh, with the Aces uh, starting tomorrow night. And 
you know, I, I feel bad for the fans in Evansville. I really do. I This was a situation where, um, you know, they hired the one of the most prominent hometown athletes after, you know, they, a lot of the enthusiasm was gone from the fan base and after the Marty Simmons era. Um, Marty put, you know, tough teams to beat on the floor, um, but they didn't win enough, and ultimately that that's what caused Evansville to make a change. And part of their focus was getting enthusiasm back up, and so they went with, uh, you know, Walter McCarty played uh, at Evansville Harrison, of course, um, went on to play at Kentucky when, when they were rebuilding themselves into a national power in the mid-'90s, and then he played uh, in the NBA for a long time, mostly with the Boston Celtics. Since then, he's been on the on, um, Rick Patino's staff at Louis. He's he's worked with Rick Patino, among others. So, um, and Brad Stevens, of course, I believe, uh, uh, with with the Celtics. So, uh, you know, a big name, and it worked for about a year and a half. Um, when I went to Ford Center last year, they had the best crowd I've seen at Ford Center anyway uh, for an Evansville game. People were enthused about it. They knew last year was basically a throwaway, uh, as most first years tend to be. Um, and they also knew they had a lot of players. DeAndre Williams, probably the most prominent among them, who are going to become eligible this year. And this is when they started to make their push. And when they beat Kentucky uh, earlier in the season, um, you know, reached a fever pitch. People were ready to... Uh, jump on the Aces bandwagon and um, it's really a shame that through no fault of their own that's not the fans fault um, that they were let down by um, by the man that they pinned their hopes on it's always unfortunate when when that happens and um, the Evansville statement that they put out uh, regarding McCarty's firing didn't have a lot of detail it did mention that they unearthed more allegations of wrongdoing. There was no detail on that. Um, as far as uh, the Title IX uh, issues that he was uh, put on leave for to begin with. So I feel like, uh, you know, I, obviously I don't know Walter McCarty well. I think I've only talked to him once or twice since he has been Evansville coach. Um, but I feel like he let them down. I, I, I don't know that there's another way to put that. Um, you know, they pinned a lot of hopes on him. They pinned a lot of their marketing on him. Um, he's a hometown person, has a lot of pride in Evansville, got a lot of people in Evansville excited about the program. Um, but just like any athlete who lets a program down, when a coach lets a program down, I think it's far worse. They're getting paid to be responsible human beings. And I know it's that sounds unforgiving. People are people. People have flaws and things like that. But um, bottom line is is that a coach has a lot more responsibility as far as the direction of the program, the reputation of the program, um, than most players do. And when the coach ultimately lets the program down to the point where they have to fire him in the middle of a season, um, he has to take responsibility for that. And I think as well-loved as Walter McCarty is in Evansville, uh, he let his hometown team down, and that's unfortunate. And I think the fans... I'm sure many of them feel a sense of betrayal about that. Probably more of them feel a sense of sadness that it happened in the first place, which is also an appropriate way to think about it because it is it is sad. Um, I feel bad for 
whomever the people were who um, were on the wrong end of the um, of the misbehavior as well. So um, it'll be interesting to see what Evansville does. Todd Lickleiter is very well respected. In recent years, I've sat next to him a few times at Holman Center when he's been there scouting, um, and he's a nice man. Um, uh, I covered him back when he was coaching at Butler. I, I remember we were we had a joke, me and him one time, sitting there in, at the press table at Holman Center, um, recalling Tyson Schnicker's 30-foot shot that Pete Butler back at the at Hinkle Fieldhouse in 2006. Not a pleasant memory for for Todd Licklider, but certainly a pleasant memory for ISU fans. And um, so he he knows the game. He knows the coaches here in the state. We'll see how long of a term this appointment is. But um, my guess is that Evansville, I, I didn't see the terms, if they've even been announced, of Licklider's um, um, situation. But um, I don't know if this is just to finish out the season or what. But... Um, but if it, if it does go beyond the season, certainly he has a lot of respect and will probably ease a lot of um, people's minds in Evansville who, you know, I mean, this is pretty catastrophic if you're a fan to go through this. So um, so we'll see where it goes from here. We'll see where the, these players that were recruited by McCarty, whether they stick around or whether they leave. These days, there's no guarantees, no matter what. I mean, um with the the transfer situation being what it is in college, uh, all college sports, um, even if you retain everybody, there's no guarantee everybody's going to stick around. So, um, you know, it's a different world. I mean, the fact that Evan, I mean, the fact is Evansville was able to build their team in the first place based on the new transfer rules. So it cuts both ways. Um, you can lose players in a hurry and you can gain players in a hurry. So, um, it's still something I think a lot of coaches are adjusting to, certainly fans are adjusting to, and, um, you know, it can happen anywhere. We've been very fortunate at Indiana State that um, none of the established players have transferred out yet. We'll see how fortunate ISU continues to be in that regard, but um, because it's always possible. So, but anyway, my overriding sympathy is with the fans of the Aces because um, no one needs to go through a situation like this where... Um, you know, it's just something that should have been, you know, the, the, the coach should have handled himself better. So anyway, the, it appears that Evansville has turned the page, um, on that situation. Another coaching situation, we've, uh, we've lost one big name and we gained another in a different sport. And that'd be Bobby Petrino, um, being hired as the football coach down at Missouri state after an odd situation where, uh, Dave Steckel, was uh, a, a an agreement was signed between him and the school to uh, for his departure earlier this month. Um, unusual time to make a coaching change. Um, Missouri State claims that they had the money to buy out the remaining portion of Steckel's contract uh, when the season ended back in November, um, and then decided they didn't want to do it at the time and then suddenly it does happen in January that's strange um because recruiting is even though the big recruiting day now is basically in December um you still are recruiting to the old recruiting day which is uh, I believe it's February 5th this year so um you know I guess ISU did it with Kurt Mallory they hired Kurt Mallory in the in the middle of January if I remember right but um 
so um, but Bobby Petrino comes with some baggage uh, as college football fans know he's also come with a lot of wins at almost everywhere he's been but I mean it hasn't ended well for him anywhere um, I guess the only one it did was his first stint at Louisville where he left there to go coach the Atlanta Falcons but of course he famously left the Falcons uh, high and dry in the middle of uh, his first season all, ki- all kinds of controversy that caused his demise at Arkansas motorcycle accident a mistress he had on the payroll there that kind of stuff so he left under a cloud there he's at western kentucky briefly and then he used that to springboard his way back to louisville uh coach lamar jackson there but by the time isu played louisville last year um, things were starting to go downhill already and you know if you talk to the louisville media people i mean his assistant coaches were basically in um I don't want to overstate it, but kind of uh, had gotten tired of Petrino and were ready to bolt on him. And um, and it reflected on the players. Louisville had a poor season in Petrino's last year. So um, not somebody that was highly courted by the Power 5 schools or even the next five schools. So this was his opportunity to get back in the game. We'll see how it works for Missouri State. I People like to talk about how bad football support at Indiana State is and how bad the football generally has been at Indiana State and those people wouldn't be wrong necessarily but um, the decline of Missouri State football over the last decade or so I mean if you would have asked anybody what the worst football program in the Missouri Valley Football Conference was in 2000 10 years ago in 2000 this at this point in 2010 the unanimous answer would have been Indiana State and it would have been the right answer um if you ask around now, I don't know that it'd be unanimous, but I think Missouri State right now is the uh, has been surpassed by Indiana State as you know, kind of the uh, black hole of the league. It's um, it's it doesn't have a football tradition. I mean, um, certainly not in the modern era of FCS football. Um, they haven't made the playoffs, um, you know, since the since the field got expanded, since the modern Missouri Valley Conference got put together. Um, and they've it's been kind of a very slow decline to the point where, you know, they were 1-10 this past season and uh, just haven't had any kind of momentum, positive momentum at all, you know, in, at least in my time uh, traveling around the league. What makes it worse is, is that the stadium at Missouri State is fine. It's it's much bigger, actually, than Memorial Stadium. Significantly bigger, actually. Um, but it's not... I'm not... I don't... I can't sit here and claim that it's not a good football area. I don't live in Springfield, so I'm not going to sit here and uh, say that. But it does seem like it's a hard sell for the fans down there. I'll never forget going down there. Um, probably would have been in maybe 2011 or 2013. I forget which year it was. Um it was a late season game much like this year's game was when ICU visited in the last game of the season that this past year uh November game and it was beautiful it was 75 degrees out just you know Indian summer type weather and there's nobody there and I was asking around I was like where the hell is everybody I mean the weather is great I mean you couldn't ask for better weather and you know they're like well when the weather's good people don't want to come out and watch football they go out into the to the lakes and into the woods and fish or hunt or you know, do outdoors type stuff because that's uh, very popular down in that part of the world. So um, 
and you know they haven't won so you know when you don't win as we know here you know you're not going to generate a lot of loyal fans so um it's going to be a challenge for Petrino probably unlike one he's ever really had I guess the closest analog would be Western Kentucky but even they had the momentum of having just turned FBS at the time or you know they had gone through um their transition at that point but um still were trying to get to a certain point in their progression of their football program they had some positive momentum behind them Missouri State doesn't have anything like that and Petrino will much as Walter McCarty did at Evansville generate some buzz he already has I mean Missouri State's gotten more football coverage over his hire than they probably had for anything they've done on the field in the last 10 years but we'll see where it goes it's it's a it's a it we'll see if it's a devil's bargain or whether it was just a bargain for the Bears because um, it's not easy to turn things around at this level as we know Um, Indiana State it took Trent Miles two hard years to get that program pointed in the right direction in 2010 Kurt Mallory had one very very rough year his first year um, which was as bad as any of the early Trent Miles years Um, turned around for him in his second year last year was a was we'll see if it's a roadblock or a sign of bigger trouble but um this league is tough i mean you you can't just you can't cut corners and you can't um there's no juco fixes that are gonna make you suddenly a winner in in the missouri valley football conferences it's just too damn tough and it's gonna be a building process does petrino have the patience to do that we'll see is petrino if he does happen to win in year one or year two is he going to jump at the first chance he gets? Well, history would say yes. Um, so it's a risk on Missouri State's part. Maybe it's a risk worth taking. I mean, if you look at it, what do they have to lose? I mean, they're drawing flies to their games. Um, there's no enthusiasm. So I suppose it's worth a punt. But um, but it just doesn't tend to end well with him. So hopefully Missouri State uh, doesn't come out of this on the wrong end of the stick when it when if whenever it does end so makes the league more interesting I mean there's some big names in this league with Petrino if Bo Pelini sticks around there were rumors he was going to LSU as their defensive coordinator which he's since denied um, interest in that but we see a lot of denials of interest and we know sometimes where those go so we'll see but um, you know but it's this league isn't getting any easier you add North Dakota not North Dakota State but North Dakota comes into the league next year they were a playoff team last year um in fcs so it isn't getting any easier for anybody and uh certainly bobby petrino is gonna find that out last year one local nugget with petrino's hire is that one of the assistant coaches he hired is ronnie fouch who was uh isu's quarterback when they did turn the corner under trent miles so i still think ronnie fouch is the best quarterback isu has had since i've been around um if ryan boyle puts in one more year um like he did two years ago that argument was going to get more interesting but Fouch was a hell of a quarterback when he was here I think people kind of forget about him a little bit he was very efficient um and got them on the winning track in 2000 and 2011 so best of luck to Ronnie down there in Springfield it's good to have him back in the league so um we'll see we'll see if you know Ryan Boyle's that's a subject I'll have to bring up on another podcast we'll see uh um what his status is going to be going forward um there's some talk about there about him but anyway um, one last thing i wanted to mention isu related um just a little tidbit is that 
ICU came very close to getting one of its former players into the Super Bowl, and that would be um, former wide receiver Robert Tanyan, uh, or Rob Tanyan, as he probably prefers to go by these days, but um, has spent the last two years with the Green Bay Packers, team eh, kind of near and dear to my cheese head heart a little bit, just a little bit. Um, played in the NFC Championship game against the 49ers. Not a memorable, memorable game for the Packers. They were... Um, uh, shown the door pretty early in that game with uh, the 49ers. Uh, their defense was impressive. Their running game was devastating uh, against the what's a pretty good Packers defense. Um, so Tanya didn't get to do much in that game. I think he may have had a false start penalty in there somewhere. I did see him throw a block on, um, I think it was like a trap or something like that, that the Packers ran, but um, came very close to getting to the Super Bowl. And Rob had his best year. He had 10 catches this year for 100 yards, one touchdown, and started one game for the Packers this season. So um, he was also hurt for part of the year. He would have played more, but um, he missed several games in the middle of the season um, um, with what I think was a back injury. So, um, you know, ISU hasn't, you know, uh, until up until Tanyan was in the league, just hasn't had any NFL presence at all. Um, over really the last two decades. So, um, you know, Tanyan isn't going to the Pro Bowl or anything like that, but it's good that to see that um, um, the career that he carved out here, which was an interesting one, he started out as a quarterback and eventually found his niche as a receiver. He's playing tight end for the Packers, but tight end in the modern sense where he's he is blocking, but he's, you know, a receiving option. So, um great for him that he had that experience um he'll never forget it and um good to see some ISU alumni doing things up at the next level so um we'll see if Jonas Griffith can get there um we're getting to the point where um it's going to be time to start talking about um uh the combine and um pro days and things like that so we'll see where Jonas goes because I think he has a chance to um um latch on and carve himself out a, a really good career he's got a good head on his shoulders too and you know I wish him the best of luck so anyway took a couple weeks for me to get it done but that's down in the valley this week for episode 10 um, hopefully you're listening to this on tripstar.com that's where I prefer you listen to it so I get the hits but if not it's available on um, among many other services Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor which is actually the host of this and um several other mediums so i'm thankful for everybody who does listen Uh, we'll try to do this again in a more timely manner next week and uh, we'll see where the uh, sycamores uh, path leads them after some uh, after two pretty difficult games that come up later this week so anyway that's it for down in the valley again thanks for listening